If you are stuck in the grind and don't know how to get moving, if you have lost your dream or struggled to know how to make it happen, if you have been dreaming of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life with tools, knowledge, and support that will allow you to create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from the work they do so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. This show features interviews with people who have already created success in their lives and businesses and stories about everyday people living extraordinary lives. It's time for you to add value. I'm so excited by today's guest, Ben Starling. Ben is a wonderful soul and makes you feel like you're the most important person in the room anytime you're having a conversation with him. Ben is the founder of Southern Philanthropy, a company he built on his desire to guide fundraisers and philanthropists toward meeting or even exceeding their fundraising goals. His solid gut-level honesty has produced traceable results. Ben is known for his willingness to help any organization, sharing his practical and actionable steps to success. Combining his family's lessons on tithing and sacrificial giving with solid mentorship from three giants, Richard DeVos, Dr. Arthur E. Turner, and Frank Wright. Ben has developed a fundraising philosophy steeped in hospitality and relationships. I am blessed to consider Ben a friend, and I look forward to learning from him today. Whatever you want me to talk about, you just tell me. All right. You just ask me a question. Well, I'm sure... Uh, Excited to be here today with my friend Ben Starling. And uh, Ben, thanks for joining us. And my pleasure. Well, let's. Uh, I mean, obviously, the reason you and I met was was a conversation about connection and a lesson about connection. And um, I guess the way you referred to it at the time was that you were the most connected person that our host knew. And so, <laughs> can you share a little bit about the importance of connection? obviously in your work, but as entrepreneurs and, and business owners? Well, I, I think the key thing to uh, connections is to have a cast a very wide net. I've seen people before so define themselves in a really narrow niche, but th that works well as long as you're only going to need the people in those, that, that niche. But um, it's been my experience that you got to have a, a a a big rolodex because our lives cycle in and out sometimes cycle in and out of a niche so you you better have the biggest um, biggest network possible i i've always i've always had mentors that had had really big networks of a real varied uh, uh varied is a kind word for it but uh but but it's always interesting because every one of those people played a role in in one way or another, and it was fascinating uh, with these mentors to to watch how they operated in and around those networks and how they kept their networks kind of fed, um, so that anytime they reached out, anytime they called, the people were so excited to hear from them, but people were also very. Um, very amenable to doing whatever uh, the request was was made of them, and I think that's key. Nice. Well, and I know that you're an expert at building relationships and, and establishing relationships. Um, can you can you share a little bit about 
how maybe some of your key relationships, how you went out of your way to, you know, you didn't cold call some of these. No, folks. no, no. Um, people have asked me sometimes, they said, oh, just call them out. I said, no, no, I don't do that. Uh, no, no cold calling. One of the, I, I think one of the, the hallmarks of strategic relationship building is to be genuine, to be honest. Don't try and be someone you're not. And also don't, don't forge or don't, don't try and forge a relationship where it, it's, it's a problematic situation. If you know someone doesn't like you, doesn't like what you represent, just is, 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 is a tough situation, don't spend time there. You know, focus. Uh, th th there's enough people in this world that you know. Focus. Focus on those that are going to be able to uh, to invest back in you. And and I think that is uh, an important life lesson in in, in so many ways and in, in so many things that we do. I think we can essentially, as we say in the South, bark up the wrong tree. And <laughs> a lot of times, uh, you see people just wasting an inordinate amount of time. Um, and only to find out, you know, at the end of all this effort, they still haven't made any headway and they, they've just wasted, you know, an, an hour, a day, a week, a month, a, a year. Um, so one of your early mentors was, was Rich DeVos and, yeah. and tell, tell, share the story about how, how you began that relationship. Well, Rich DeVos is a very special man for, you know, any in your audience who don't know him, he was the co-founder of Amway and the uh, family owns the Orlando Magic basketball team. I first met Rich in 1987. He was introduced to me by uh, um, uh, by my boss. And I, I thought, wow, this is a man that started Amway. And I had friends that sold Amway. So that was that was always a, a, a neat thing. And and a number of years later, I had kept in touch with him, just, you know, some basic, uh, basic outreach. But it was, it was during that time I had gone to work for a university that he heavily supported. And it was, it was really one of those things where our, our paths con continued to, to cross. And I was ever so thankful. And he took a real interest in me. He was, he was one who always loved to know where people came from, what they believed in. Um, I, so it was it was only natural that, um, you know, the, the, the conversation came and we had a lot of things in common, uh, faith and politics and, and, and that sort of thing. And um, he was always curious about what I thought and why, why I believe the way that I do and what other people my age thought. So it was um, it, it was an incredible time of conversation. And that's why I go back to and I, I share with people, you know, it, it, it's got to be built on honesty. It can't be built on something contrived because people that are at the, you know, the top top echelon, they have enough people coming after them for one thing or another. And so they can pick up on a con uh, a, a con job really, really quick. So I never went there trying to sell anything, trying to push an agenda. I think it was probably too nervous at the beginning to even consider something <laughs> something like that. But but Rich became a very, very dear friend and, and mentor and had the great pleasure of uh, traveling with him some and just to be able to to um, spend time with him. 
and and to learn from him. And I never 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 went away having been in his presence that that I didn't take away some words of wisdom. And and he taught by example, and that was one of the most impressive things to me is that he didn't if he told you to do something or he suggested you do something he gave an example in his own life how he had had made something like that um, into reality so it was again a lot of people can tell you what to do but very few people can actually show you uh and 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 model that and um you know i think back to you know, those of those of us of, of, of faith can relate to the, the Bible verse where it um, uh, where it speaks. You know, you will know them by their fruit, and I think that was one thing that Rich DeVos was the first one to tell you. Um, he was a he was a sinner, <laughs> but uh, but but he tried his best, and he was trying his best every day, and and so he modeled that that fruit and that's what impressed me you know yeah don't well, don't tell me, don't tell me show me uh yeah absolutely motto. yeah how, so how does it feel when a mentor of his caliber uh, is involved in your life and and truly wants your opinion uh it, it it's quite humbling um you know i i often thought to myself when he'd call and he'd ask about something i thought of all the people you could call in this world, why in the world are you calling me? You know, I'm just a kid from Immokalee, Florida. But uh, but but it was it, it was fascinating because he listened, and you know, I, I he he asked one time. He had a significant amount of money to put uh, behind a, a political candidate, and he said, uh, he said, who do you think I ought to give it to? And I thought, wow, this is this is re- re- really interesting. Uh, so we had a nice, nice conversation about that. But, but I, I, I think there's there's no greater um, honor that you can give someone than to listen to them and to ask their opinion and absorb it. Not ask their opinion so you can argue with them, or not ask their opinion because you want to poke holes in their logic. But to to genuinely know what they think what they believe, uh, what their core philosophy is. And, you know, I probably a worker and in, 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 in some ways, because people always tell me, Oh, you ask too many questions uh, when you meet new people. But I, I, I find it fascinating to meet people and to understand, you know, who they are, what they are, why you believe what you do, what, how does that, you know, what, what are your core principles that govern who, who you are and how you act every day and, it's it, it fascinating to me. Absolutely, that's great. Uh, and and yet, you know, this day and time, it's kind of crazy. Whenever you 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 talk faith or politics or something controversial with others, and uh, but those are the people I like to talk to because you know, and, and unless you talk to people that you disagree with, you really don't begin to understand a side of an um, a, a, of an argument or a, a topic. But when someone can rationally share with you um, why they believe the way that they do and, you know, what their upbringing taught them that's influenced some of these things, you know, it can make you stop and, and think for a minute. Like, oh, I still might not agree with you, but I can I can see how you come to that conclusion. 
And I think there's a, a greater level of, of empathy and respect that you you have for others. And, and you know, and, and it all, all goes back to like the relationship building and having a, you know, a, a wide, a wide network. And I, so some of the best meal times I have are sitting around with, with others that are diametrically opposed to what I believe politically. And we have the greatest conversations. We challenge one another, but at the end of the meal, we walk away still respecting one another and nobody's angry or at least not, not really that angry, but, uh, but, but, but you walk away and you think, wow, eventually I'm going to need somebody on the other side of the aisle. I'm going to need somebody that, that is involved in, in communities that I'm not involved in that I'm going to need to call on them because, Hey, we we're, we're all connected one, one way or another. And, um, so having a, having a big network and is, I, I think that's been one of the greatest things that's helped me in my my career. Yeah, I think you mentioned something there that comes up a lot. And I think social media is kind of exaggerated. Um, maybe men, I think women too, but men like to hold on to their right to be right. Yeah. And, and, and I think being able to give up your right to be right can lead to so many more enlightening conversations. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. When you go into a conversation and you just decide that you're going to listen and not speak, it, 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 it's amazing what you learn. And it, it's amazing that uh, how your advice may change once you've heard the entire story. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a, a fix it kind of guy. I want to help. Somebody tells me a problem immediately. I'm thinking, all right, how am I going to help them? Uh, let me tell them there are 10 steps that, you know, to, to, to run through this problem. And one, one year it, it was, I remember it was, it was New Year's. And um, I, I thought, you know, what are my New Year's resolutions going to be? And I had given someone some advice without hearing the other side of the story. And then I came to realize that my advice just was, was not good because I given the wrong given the advice to the wrong party there. I should have given it to the other party once I heard the whole story. But that being said, I thought, all right, I'm not going to give anybody my opinion unless it's asked for. And that was my New Year's resolution. Wow. And I, I, and, and I have to tell you, that was um, that was that was a great, a, a great experience. And because sometimes I just I, I was just like foaming at the mouth to to to, to speak and tell people. But you know what I realized was, you know, if people want your opinion, they'll they'll ask for it. But sometimes just listening, that's uh, that's the smartest thing we can do. And wisdom often tells us to uh, keep quiet. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wisdom so tells I, us we just need to listen. <laughs> exactly. So I, I I try and not give my opinion that much uh, unless it is actually asked for, especially uh, when, when somebody comes with a, with a problem, more so a personal problem than a professional problem. But, you know, being a, being a fundraising consultant, you, you get lured into the, the belief that, yeah, I got all the answers. I can tell anybody how to do this or especially within this realm or this niche. 
Um, so you think, well, if I can solve their fundraising problems, I can surely, you know, be a marriage counselor and tell them what they need to do there. <laughs> but, uh, I, I've learned that that didn't always work uh, work out too well. So I need to I need to stick to fundraising. Nice. So yeah. twice you've mentioned just being a, a small town boy from Immokalee, Florida. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. your, your hometown and your upbringing. So Immokalee, for those, uh, most people say, my gosh, how do you spell that? So it's I-M-M-O-K-A-L-E-E. That is a, 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 a word from the Seminole Indian language, and it means my home. Um, you can always tell the name, uh, pronounce the name um, of, an in, of an Indian word because every letter is pronounced. Uh, nice. Every letter is is articulated. So there's nothing that nothing that remains silent. So it was a small town in southwest Florida, outside Fort Myers, Naples area. It's a farming community, and uh, I am proud to say that Immokalee, Florida, at one time I don't know if it still is or not, but uh, um, it's the watermelon capital of the world. More watermelons were grown there per capita than any 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 place in the world. So that was always kind of our claim to fame. There you go. Yeah, this is a neat, uh, neat experience. But my mom and dad still still live out there. They own a a flower and gift shop that they've had for, let's see, I'll be 52 this year, about 50 years. Wow. So, so yeah, yeah, they've been, they've they've been busy. Great, great place to be from. It's a great town. It's, it's hard to think for those of us that are outside of Florida to, that Florida would have small towns because, you know, we always just hear about all the all the big towns. There's so many big towns. You know, people, when you mention Florida, they either think Disney World or they think the beach. There's there's <laughs> not much there's not much middle ground there. But people people do not realize how much agriculture comes out of the uh, state of Florida, um, uh, farming, ranching. That That is huge. And I think that is. Let's see, there's in the state, our state economy, tourism would be number one, um, uh, real estate development, number two. And I, and I think I think number three is is agriculture, farming and ranching. Wow. So, and not just oranges. They, not just oranges. And <laughs> in my hometown during the winter, they grow uh, tomatoes and peppers and um um, they don't grow any onions out there, but um, uh, they grow some potatoes, but not, not that many, but uh, cucumbers and, and squash and that sort of thing. And so most of the tomatoes that, that you will eat during the winter months come from come from Florida. And, and my hometown being one of probably the top three towns that they would come from. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you eat them on, on, on the East Coast. Let me say that the East Coast. Now, what? So, what moved you to to philanthropy? Like, because you started that this pretty much been your only, yeah, yeah, only gig. Well, when so so it, so it's interesting. So when I got to college, I went to college in West Palm Beach, Palm Beach Atlantic University. Sailfish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. You get points for remembering that one. So I was a proud sailfish and the start of my sophomore year, I had to get a job. I had to work, needed money. And I answered an ad on the college billboard to go and run errands at a fundraising PR firm. 
And I saw the address was just a couple blocks from the school. And I thought, well, I could run errands. It's an, it's clo- close by. So that was convenient. And um, so I went down there. It was the beginning of my sophomore year. And I started work for a little old man. And he was probably 84, 85 when I started work for him. His name was Frank Wright. He was formerly one of the top PR um agents in the in, in the state of Florida and in a fascinating background and he knew everyone and everyone knew him and that's where I learned about about a network and long story short by the end of my that first semester that I, I worked there I was working full-time I was going to school full-time and, and working full-time and we handled the kind of the the PR fundraising contracts for a couple of different charities and I thought that was one of the greatest things in the world. You know, I, I was getting paid to go out to these country clubs and eat and meet all these exciting people. These were these I, I, unlike the town where I'd come from, people had traveled all over the world. Some of them had spent the night in the White House. They knew the president. They knew all of these people. And I thought, wow, it was a world away from from where I had come from. And, and I just found that so fascinating. And I realized that, that fundraising was a, was a career path. So all that being said, let me, let me flip back in and say that whenever, whenever I was growing up, my parents were always active in the community. And if there was any, um, any time there was someone in need, they'd call around, they'd raise money for them. Um, my father was president of the chamber a couple of times and uh, raised the money. My father was president of the Little League and raised the money to build a, a new Little League field and rehab the old one. So when I was um, in elementary school, we had we had two elementary schools when I was I was growing up in my small town and someone would donate a cow. And, and, and so each elementary school would get half the cow and we would sell what were called beef tickets. If you were a fourth or a fifth grader, you, you sold beef tickets. And that, that, that was the equivalent back then of like kids selling light bulbs or wrapping paper or cookie dough or <laughs> any of that. We sold beef tickets and they were a dollar a piece. And, um, and then the winner would get this, processed half cow to, to fill their freezer. And that was, that was a big thing in my, my, my small town. And so whoever sold the most beef tickets won a hundred dollars. Well, nice. both years I sold the most beef tickets and, and I won the hundred dollars. So I was just thrilled about that. And then um, when little league was, was raising money too, there was a bike a and I, I'm not much of an athlete, and I'm certainly not one to um, uh, go out and exercise a whole lot. But I, I raised the most money for the uh, for the bikeathon. And when I got to high school, they needed somebody to sell yearbook ads, and that was we had yearbook was a class, and so I was I was I was the yearbook salesman. Um, so you know, again, looking back. It was like fundraising was the only profession for me. I just d- didn't know it, but but it is amazing how your upbringing, you know, so often shapes where you you go when it allows your kind of natural 
instincts and natural abilities to really kind of spring forth. Nice. Yeah. Well, and obviously the importance of contribution for your work is <laughs> it's what you do. But what is what do you say is the value of contribution for the person on the on the giving side? Like what what does that do for a person as an individual, but also in their business life? I mean, why would why would these people give away so much? <laughs> Maybe that's a better question. <laughs> well, you can look at it two ways. I, you know, I, I work with very wealthy people. So for them to give a million dollars away or 10 million, uh, that that's a nice amount of money. But for many of these people, it would not be considered a sacrificial gift if you were using kind of kind of church terms. I think we can look all through society in the beginning of, of time and, and people giving and the, the, the story of the, the woman with the widow's might and how she gave all compared to, to, to some. <clears throat> and it's been my experience whether people are giving via a yard sale, people are giving, you know, in the little UNICEF boxes it used to be and they, they put money in there that for what, whatever their motivation is to give, or if they have, they have no motivation to give other than it's the right thing to do. And I think, I think there is a certain level of peace that comes um, when you've, you've, you, you've helped somebody, you've helped make the world a better place and that you have, have changed the life of, of someone via donation to an organization or to an entity or to a cause um, to know that you've affected change, um, something for the better. I've always found that <clears throat> ultimately to be the, 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 the key factor. You know, a lot of people ask me, they say, oh, they're just doing it for a tax deduction. Rarely have I seen someone do something just for a tax deduction. It's, it's often not, not 99% of the time, it's not that way. They do it because they want to make a difference. And I think all of us, <clears throat> regardless it, it, where we are in life, enjoy knowing that our life is counted for something or is counting for something. Um, and, and I think as, as people get older too, they really begin to reflect, you know, what, what have I done in my life? I mean, I've, I, I've worked hard, I've, I've done this, I've done that, but you know, about 30 minutes after you retire, they've, uh, they've given your office to somebody else and your nameplate's gone and your parking space is assigned to somebody else. They've cut off now your email account. So <coughs> it's kind of, um, Kind of one of those things that you need. You need the satisfaction of knowing you've you've left this world a better place. Nice, absolutely. I think uh, it's it's interesting to to think about the difference that you can make through yeah. contribution, and and I think what that does, obviously, as a as a former pastor and having worked in the church, you know, showing people what the tithe can do in your own life. Like 
for a person to scrape out 10% of their budget and, and feel like I can't pay my bills if I, if I do this. And yet the faith element that happens when, when you're faithful in that and, and how it creates, I believe it creates flow, right? Money, money's designed to move. And if you're not moving it, (laughs) it gets stuck. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think that money moves me to move it. Uh, and, you know, I, I've often thought if I had a lot of money, I, I, I don't know if I could handle it because, you know, <laughs> my, my interest in having a lot of money is not, not, not for material possessions, but to be able to give it away. And, and, you know, I asked a wealthy donor one time, they were billionaires. And I said, how do you decide whose life you're going to, to, to fix and change when you have the ability <clears throat> to change so, so many lives? Um, and they, they shared about how we think, let me word this correctly. So it's somewhat profound. And they said, when God has entrusted you with billions of dollars, that's not a job you take lightly. And you seek his advice daily and how to manage that. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty profound. Humility's humility's a big characteristic <laughs> when it comes to, to resource. And you think about it, you know, when you have that type of money, <clears throat> people, people find you, people come out of the woodwork and everybody's got a good story. Everybody's got a, a sad, um, you know, there's a sad element to it that, you know, uh, somebody's going to die. Somebody just was in an accident. You've got to do this. And, you know, you're the only hope we have. There's a lot of victims. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. And at, at some point, you know, you got to have a, 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 a lot of discernment and a lot of wisdom to know where, how you're going to use that money for the greater good. And yeah. I, I, I've watched, you know, some of these extremely wealthy families do that. And but that's that's always fascinated me because so often um, <clears throat> I don't do a real good job of discerning. You know, sometimes I, it's when somebody I, I guess it goes back to my effort to you know want to fix something. If I hear of a need, oh, I got to jump in there. I, I can I, I can do that. And then you realize, well, yeah, you know, maybe that's a little more enabling than it is it, it is helping. Nice. And that's one of, the, one of the things I love about fundraising is that, that whenever you get to the higher levels of it, where you are raising money for buildings and that sort of thing, that that, that truly is, you know, give, giving the hand up, not not the handout type of mentality. And what I've noticed when people give at that level, they're wanting to make a difference for the long term, not uh not just satisfying um, a, a short-term need. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. What a, what a cool thing to be a part of. I, I love how so many of your stories revolve around food. And of course, anyone that yeah. follows you on Facebook understands that you're kind of a foodie. Um, what, do you, what do you think about the value of sharing a meal? 
<laughs> oh, I, I, I've always said food is a common denominator uh, for everyone. And, and if you can get, you know, your mortal enemies around the, uh, around the table and share a, a, a meal full of comfort food, something that, that reminds everyone of their childhood in one, one way or another, you know, you, you could solve the world's problems because, you know, you get them, you find a lot of, this is really interesting because I always tell people in fundraising, take them out to lunch because, you know, you can do a Zoom call and that, that sort of thing or talk to them on the telephone. But, but whenever you get people eating, there is something about a level of hospitality that begins to break down barriers and people become much more comfortable and, and, you know, on certain foods, you can hear them say, my aunt used to make this, or I grew up with a chef that made this, or my mother, or, you know, when I was a kid, I wish I could have eaten steak. That was a, you know, once a year treat. And so there, there's, a, there's a lot of things you can learn about people over, over, uh, over a meal. And, and I think that brings forth a lot of conversation that is not going to be evident on a, on a phone call or even a, a, a Zoom call. Um, I find that people are, are pretty disarmed, um, especially if they're on guard because you might be asking for something that whenever a, a nice meal is enjoyed, um, you know, that, that is, you know, that's, that's heartwarming to, to most people. And when I think of experiences and, and uh, things, you know, you, you try and say, well, gosh, would they enjoy this experience or that experience? One thing's for sure, food is an experience that, that everyone has participated in in, 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 in one way or another. Um, and every, everybody's got a food story. And if you can tap in and you can find out what that food story is and incorporate that, um, in, in some of the fundraising that I've done, you know, in, in fundraising, it, it does revolve a lot around food and eating out and eating with other people. And one of the things I, I like to do is to always make note when they say my favorite food is my favorite dessert <laughs> is my mother used to make this and I loved it. Uh, and, and when I take them out to dinner or they'll invite them over to my place for dinner, um, always make sure those foods are served. And it, and, and, and again, it, it, it shows people, number one, that you've listened to them. And, and secondly, that you remembered what, what it was. And now you have, have taken the next step to actually prepare it for them to make their time special. And that means a lot to, to people, you know? Nice. So, yeah. so one of the things that, that I do with all my clients when they first join is, is I send them a book with a $2 bill in it and i learned that from you and that was that was the first uh, ridge builder maybe what tell, tell me about the two dollar bill from your perspective you're also giving away hundred thousand dollar but not bills yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well so i had a um a wonderful uh, donor they were from beckley west virginia they owned a, a large construction, heavy equipment, constructions, roads, bridges, highways, that, that sort of thing. Um, and they had a place down in Palm Beach. And so we, but she didn't drive. Her husband had passed away. She didn't drive. 
and we ended up at a funeral together of uh, of another donor. And I ended up sitting with her somewhat somewhat by accident, and someone had brought her to um, to the funeral. And at the the end of the funeral, she said. Um, she said, could I, could I take you out to, to dinner? And I said, no, ma'am. I said, I, I've got another commitment I have to go to. And, and it was at that point I realized, uh, it, you know, I had forgotten that, that she didn't drive. And I, and I said, um, do you need a ride home? I said, would you like me to, she said, oh, I would love it if you, if you would. And she didn't look far. Starts fishing around for money. And I said, Oh, I, Mrs. I'm not going to take uh, take your money. She said, "We'll give you something special." And I said, "No, no, 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 no." I said, "I, I just enjoy your company." And 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 she pulled out a, a new two dollar bill and she said, "I want to give this to you." And she was probably eighty or so at, at the time. And she said, "You know, there's a tradition in our family." that uh, we give $2 bills out and we give them to people that we meet and people that we love. And we tell them to fold it and tuck it in, in their wallets. And always remember that when times get bad, that you will never be alone and you'll never be broke. And this, uh, you'll always have your $2 bill and you'll always have us. And I thought that that was just such a wonderful, wonderful story. And, and so I had never, never forgotten that. And uh, that's why I love giving $2 bills and in memory of her. And I often share that story. And, um, you know, si since that time, you know, I always make sure I have $2 bills with me. And I, I, I tip with them, I travel with them, um, you know, and do, do everything with $2 bills. If you ever get a birthday card for me, it's got a $2 bill in it. You get a good luck card, a get well card. There's $2 bills uh, galore, but you know, a lot of people when they have a big network say, well, gosh, I don't have a ton of money to uh, keep in touch with people and do this and do that. And I said, well, if you got $2, $2, uh, and then you got 50 cent for a stamp and 50 cent for a card from, from the, a Hallmark card from the Dollar Tree store for three bucks, you got a way to keep in touch with somebody. So uh, you're not going to find a better bargain than, than that. But those $2 bills, um, especially people of an older generation will be able to re share a story. My grandfather used to give me a $2 bill or I still got the one my grandmother gave me. And recently what I've gotten a number of people that said, Oh, I had a aunt that worked at a bank or my father was in banking and he'd give us $2 bills. And, Oh, it reminded me. I, I get some of the neatest stories from people about these two dollar bills, and and I have to tell you, when I when I tip with those, people people consider those. Oh wow, this is really neat. I'm going to put it up. I'm going to save it. And so you know, it's just kind of a little thing, but uh, people people enjoy it. But it, it creates a, a connection, right? Yeah, creates, yeah I'm saving this, and I know who gave it to me. Yeah, yeah. That that really does make a difference. Yeah, I I I'd share another one. Let me let me fish one out here real quick. And I'll show you. All right. So I I don't. Oh. So. I I'm not real clear. Silver, silver dollar. There we go. So, so it it it's a it's a real silver 
dollar coin. And, um, you know, depending on the price of silver, you know, you can get them anywhere from, from 20 to silver's gone up. I had to pay $39 for them the other day. So I <laughs> at a time. And, uh, well, it's good for the people you sent them to. Yeah, exactly. But so for kids that for graduation, this is one of the things that, that I often send. And, and I, I write them a note and, and I tell them that, that I'm, I'm congratulating them. And I said, I want you to remember, uh, may, may this coin be a symbolic reminder of three traits that you'll need. Well-rounded, solid, and a value. And, and, and I thought, you know what? What graduation gift can you get a kid for less than 50 bucks that they're going to remember for their lifetime? They're not going to throw a silver coin away. And uh, so, you know, that that's one that... I, and I've had people say, I was so touched by that coin you sent. Um, and, and I think it is just all about being being creative and looking for a way to connect with people. Absolutely. Right. I like that. Well-rounded, yeah. solid, and of value. Yeah. yeah. But a great little message in, in, in a yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, what gift can you give some people that they're still going to have years from now? And, you know, for some people, they'll throw it in a jewelry box or their underwear drawer or something like something like that or in the desk drawer. Um, but every time they look at it, they, they, they're going to remember those three traits and they're going to remember who gave it to them. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned cards, too. How how powerful are our cards in, in your network? And, uh, you know, so, you. so so this is, this is funny, Robert. So it was a client the other day and I'm trying to teach their staff you know, the, the art of networking and keeping in touch and that sort of thing. And so I bring in all of these cards and get well birthday the whole bit. And I'm trying to il illustrate this for them. And they said, why are we going to have to send cards? Nobody sends cards anymore. I said, that's just the reason you have to do it because nobody does it anymore. And, and, you know, years ago, you know, when you and I were younger, you know, probably in our early 20s, you know, in our career paths and that sort of thing, you know, the mail was known. Oh, gosh, another bill. Oh, you know, the, the mailman always brings me bills. In this day and time of that older generation that 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 shared love letters and any type of letters and correspondence and, and that sort of thing, <clears throat> people don't send a whole lot of mail anymore. So when someone takes the time to, to, to send a handwritten note, whether it's birthday, good luck, anniversary, you know, I hate you, I love you, wh whatever it is, it's like, wow, I just got a handwritten note in the mail. That's a, that's a big, that, that's a big thing. And, you know, it, it's, it's going above and beyond to do something that someone didn't ex expect. And I, uh, I've been mentoring these these college kids from Palm Beach Atlantic. And in fact, one of them is uh, within earshot of this interview right now, working on some of my fundraising manuals. But one of the things I've yet to teach them that I plan to is how to write a thank you note. Because uh, this younger generation, they don't, know how, they don't know how to do that. They'll send you a text, they'll send you an email, they'll call you. But, you know, I, I think it's important in 
work today, uh, outreach networking, is to do something that no one else is doing. And what it harkens back to is, you know, the, the, the good old fashioned way of, of doing things. Nice. Yeah. I like that. And it, and every one of those things that you do creates a connection and absolutely Absolutely. strengthens it. And and, and what what I tell people, especially those in fundraising is that, you know, people have a lot of choices where to give their money. They have a (laughs) lot of choices of where to engage, but you know, if, if everything was equal and you had three different organizations, you may or may not give to, and you you knew that you were going to make a year end gift to one of them. And they had just received a beautiful handwritten note from you for something or a handwritten card, not a, not a email that said happy birthday or a text message, but an old fashioned birthday card with a sweet note that you hand addressed not ran through a computer printer said, who do you think is, is it, you know, going to get the nod? And, and I say, it's someone that uh, went the extra mile and does it take time to do some of these things? Yeah. In the beginning, but you know, I send out cards, notes, books, I send out stuff every day. And uh, I, I realized this is, this is, this is interesting. So somebody asked me recently, they said, how much money do you spend on advertising for your business? I said, I don't spend any money on advertising. They said, well, how do you get your clients? I said, oh, mind if I'll come word of mouth. They said, well, do you stay busy? And I said, well, outside of the pandemic, yeah, I, it's, I've, I've never had to search for a client. Every Everybody's come to me. So I've, I've had no need to <laughs> advertise. And what I realized was that my notes, cards, letters, books, that sort of thing. That's a form of advertising. You know, I don't spend money on advertising, but I do spend money keeping in touch with people. And so the referrals come from, uh, from that. And that's why it's important that you have a large varied network and you keep in touch with them regularly. Yeah. Yeah. That human touch, it it really does strengthen the connection and and make it you know, like you said, you're differentiating yourself from every other junk mail or every other yeah. thing they're getting in their email box. And, and and today's young people, you know, sadly, no one's ever taught them how to do that. So when whenever uh, whenever they do it, it's like, wow, you are head and shoulders uh, above your peers and people of your age group because you know how to do something that that they don't. Um <laughs> Most of the day can't even write in cursive. So, um, and if you're dealing with an older population, such as, you know, donors and fundraising and that sort of thing, that's important to them. Um, you know, they see someone who writes and it's all in block print. That was um, not a real positive sign to, to them that uh, uh, someone didn't know how to write in cursive. So if somebody's taught you those things, that to generally an employer or a boss or a decision maker that is that is uh, not a millennial, that's like, wow, those, you know, those, they call them kids, but those, uh, <laughs> those young people are really, really sharp and they, they know how to communicate outside of a text or a phone or an email. Um, so you've mentioned mentorship, both having mentors in your life and then of course, 
now you're you're mentoring others in college. Talk about the value of mentorship in 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 growing yourself and and your business. Well, I had a former pastor that that, that used to say, "You always need." Two people above you and two people below you in in terms of your faith. Two people that can teach you and two people under you that that think you're a lot smarter than what you are to uh, to, to keep you on the straight and narrow so uh, so that you, you you don't disappoint them. And I thought you know that's it's a pretty good uh, pretty good thing. Um, you know, I, I've always been been blessed to have wonderful mentors and wonderful bosses who have who have modeled um, notes and cards and giving and hospitality and and that sort of thing. So they they taught by example, and I think that 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 has been uh, that that has been key. And I was asked to come and speak at at Palm Beach Atlantic, uh, where I went to school, my alma mater. And there was one student there that had, had specifically requested, said, you know, I'd, I'd like him to, to mentor me. And so I got got together with him and um, his name is Pablo and he's from Guatemala and um, had a real nice time. And, and he said, oh, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. And and then that was that was Dan. And, and, and from there. I think I have met now about a dozen of his friends. And so, so I'm not sure we call it mentorship anymore, but, but it's like all of these guys, we get together at least once a week, they love wings and barbecue. And as long as I got the money to feed them, uh, we're all, we're all happy. And, uh, but it's, it, it, it's been great because they, they, they laugh sometimes because they, they've taught me the correct use of the word, uh, gnarly. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, to use the word that's clutch. Uh, so, you, you know, I like to think I'm a bit hipper than I was, uh, you know, probably a year ago before I met all these guys. But uh, nice. But, but it's, it, it, it's a lot of fun. And, and you know, it, it goes back to, you know, the, the, these guys look at things very differently than what um, what I do. And, you know, when one of them said one time they were talking about old movies, how they love to watch old movies. And I said, what's an old movie to you? And they said, back to the future. And uh, that, <laughs> that, make, that makes you feel real old real quick. Uh, yeah. but, but you know what? It, it helps you um, kind of keep things in perspective and, and, and laugh a little bit. And, and again, un- making a point to understand this generation because this generation will um, quickly become our generation um, real fast. So, oh, absolutely. And, they, and, they'll be and, leading this. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. And, and, you know, I, I tell you in my, in, in my career and fundraising path, um, you know, I'm always trying to bring in the, uh, the what we call the third generation. You know, you have a wealthy who's essentially the grandparent. They've had their kids. Their kids are my age, maybe a little older. And now they've got uh, college age kids. So, it, it you know, it, it helps me begin to understand how do I engage those those college age kids? I am much better at engaging the grandparents than I am that, that younger generation. So, you know, I, I think mentoring people and, you know, and, and, and I've learned, you know, mentoring people is not sitting down and giving them a lesson. 
it's uh, going out to eat with them and just uh, just talking and listening and and comes from spending time together. Nice. So yeah. your goal in, in mentoring is to learn from them as much as yeah. as much as to help them on, I, the, on the way. Absolutely. I've learned a lot from these guys. They've taught me to be a better person. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good because you're you were pretty good to begin with. Your mom and dad did. I don't, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, these kids That's, are a lot better than I am. So let's talk a little bit about motivation. What what drives Ben? What keeps Ben jumping out of bed in the morning to wow. hit the road? Well, I, I I love the fundraising profession. I love people, and so. <clears throat> I absolutely thoroughly enjoy blessed beyond measure to be able to do what I love. Fundraising is my calling in life. And um, it's, it's key to everything I do. And whether you want to call it fundraising, strategic relationship building, you know, because really fundraising is all about key relationships. However you want to define it, that's, um, that's what I enjoy. So, you know, there, there's nothing greater for me than to sit with some of my donors and, and talk with them or to go into an organization and teach them how to fundraise and teach them these skills. So I love that. that that's key. I love that strategic relationship building that that's mm. just a pretty powerful <laughs> terminology. <laughs> and, you know, and you're very authentic in it. Like, like you, yeah, you got you to be honest, uh, because if you're not, people can see through that. And that's why I tell people, if you've got to fake something or it, it's just not who you are, find, find, go into something that is what you are. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know how many faith based people you have watching your 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 podcast, but. You know, there's something called the spiritual gifts test, and it, it, it's you know, it's gifts that God has has endowed you with, and and it will tell you of the was it twelve or thirteen there, and and I've always encouraged people. I said, well, you know, whether you go to church, whether you believe or not, take the spiritual gifts test, and let, let, let's see where you rank. And and my belief is go into a profession that uses your spiritual gifts because when these gifts come natural to you the job's going to come natural it's not going to be a stretch and when people say oh i'm weak in management so i'm going to uh i'm going to go into management it's going to be so hard and it's like why would you go into management that doesn't come natural to you every day is going to be a struggle you know, or if you're good in sales, it's like, well, I mean, go into manage. It's like, why? Why don't you stick with sales where you can make a fortune using what comes natural to you? You know, if somebody told me that, um, you know, I've got a business degree and, and some credits toward my, my MBA. But if somebody said I got to sit in a cubicle all day with an adding machine and a set of accounting books and, and do the bookkeeping and I'd go out of my mind. I would go out of my mind. That that is not for me. And you know, I no desire to do anything in accounting. And um, and I, I think people. I think sometimes our world teaches people like you need to be. You need to excel in every format. Hmm. 
you know, maybe for some, I, I don't know, but, um, but I say, why, why not be the very best in, in where you're gifted, you know, monetize that to the greatest degree, if that's your, if, if money is your goal, but don't, um, don't spend time struggling in something that's not your, that's just not your thing. You're going to be frustrated. And you're probably going to be very good at it. That's that's the thing. Nobody wants to be mediocre at something. At least I don't. Right. So let's let's talk about. I mean, obviously, what you do in fundraising is essentially sales. You know, you're selling the legacy. Selling. um, You're obviously you're not squeezing, right? You're not. You're not. No, I don't squeeze anything like that. Um, <laughs> so talk, let's talk a little bit about your sales conversation and 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 how those relationships work into that. Well, let me say when when I meet a um, someone of means and and in the area where where I live down in the Palm Beach area. Um, you could shoot a cannon and probably hit uh, 200 millionaires um, and the cannonball didn't have to go very far. It's somewhat akin to living in Los Angeles, Hollywood area and saying you saw a celebrity. Well, you you, you do that every day. So that, that being said, one of the first things I do is when I meet someone, I, I, I listen um, I, I don't think I've ever asked anyone for money for an organization I've either represented or been employed by that I didn't think it was a correct, uh, a, a correct fit. And I think that's why I have been blessed to have such a large kind of faithful network is because I was more interested in them than I was, you know, getting, getting the numbers for, for my employer. And I, I've always found that if you invest in people, you know, the, the gifts come, gifts come naturally. Um, I, I had a boss one time that um, I, his style of fundraising was very different than mine. And we had some very wealthy people come to one of our uh, events and, and I kind of hit it off with them and um, they invited me to lunch and we went to lunch and I came back and I've been going like two and a half hours, which is not uncommon in a, in a fundraising um in the fundraising profession. And he was like waiting at the door. He said, well, you know, how was lunch? I said, Oh, it was great. We had a nice time. He said, what did they say? And uh, he said, "What?" it was a, it was a biomedical research organ. He said, what diseases are they interested in? And <laughs> I said, good lunch conversation. I, I said, uh, I was just there to listen. He said, well, what did you tell him about us? I said, I didn't tell him anything. I said, I, I, was, I was there to listen. Uh, and, and he said, well, you, you, you've been gone for a couple hours. What in the world did you talk about? And uh, I said, no, we just had a great conversation and, uh, you know, great people. And he was frustrated. He didn't, didn't understand that because he came from, from a sect of fundraising that, that you met people and, you know, you asked them right then on the spot for a certain amount. And, and in, in their faith, they gave money immediately based, based on that. So there was no dating or courting or anything, uh, anything like that. 
you know, I, I've always, always believed and I've been taught by some of the best fundraisers and also taught by some of the greatest philanthropists that, you know, you need to spend time with people and, and get to know them and let them get to know you and, and get to know your, your heart and the heart of the organization through you. And, um, you know, that's, that's always what I've, what I've believed in and the path that I've always taken and, you know, thing, things just seem to flow. Um, you know, it, it, it's akin to um, you go out on a date and your first date and you ask the person, uh, you know, if you can marry them. <laughs> you know, sometimes that works, but the majority of time it, it, it really doesn't. So, you know, it, it's uh, I think you get a lot uh, a lot further whenever people come to, to trust you and they see that you have their best interest in heart at heart. And, you know, I've had people ask me before, said, well, you know, didn't they give you money? I said, no, because I never ask them. They're not, they're, they're not interested in what I'm doing. And, you know, when, when you understand philanthropists and a development director, a, 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 a fundraising professional is meeting with, they, they know why I'm there. So, I mean, there, there is no great no great rush to explain uh, my my presence. So, you know, and it's it's one of those things. If I know their their hearts not there, I'm, I'm not going to ask why why ruin a friendship to to hear no. All, all that's going to do is tell them this guy has not heard one word of anything that we uh, we've talked about. And gee, I thought he was probably our friend or someone that that we had a nice relationship with, but he's just proven. He is only after our money. Ouch. And that's that, that's a sad, uh, sad commentary. Um, and that's that, that that's one way a fundraiser can uh, ensure he or she is never invited to events in the future. Hmm, absolutely. So. Well, I, I think back to obviously in online sales and in in typical business sales, a, a business adds value. Right. And, and in philanthropy, you're you're adding value, but but it's a value of a different kind. And and I think identifying, matching that value with their best interests um, and aligning those becomes a natural thing. If you're paying attention to what their best interests are and saying your best interests align with this, this legacy opportunity, um, you know, is that something you'd be interested in involved in? Yeah. And, 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 you know, and if you think of, um, you know, fund, fundraising is sales to a degree. And, and you think some of the best salesmen and best sales pitches that, that, that maybe you've heard that I've heard. When, when you go in there and the person explains, especially you go to buy a car and you, you go in there and you've got a convertible and three small kids. And you go into the dealership and they've got minivans there. You know, a, a, a great salesman is going to tell you um, how this minivan is going to change your life. You know, mom and dad and the kids are each going to have a place and uh, the TVs that they can watch and and how it's going to protect your kids. And that's the value that it brings to this nice young family. Um, you know, a, a bad salesman is going to um, try and talk them into a car that's smaller than what they're in, that is of, of 
it's not practical and maybe his commission's higher um, on, on something like that. But, you know, that's going to bring no value to this young uh, to this young family. And, and so I like to run with with on the indicators that I that I've I've been given and to, to really get to know the people. You know, I consider these people my friends. I'm, I'm not um, I'm not someone who wants to push them into something just because it's going to benefit me. And nice. Yeah, I, I've well, been been thankful that I've, I've I've never had an employer that's kind of made me do that or pushed me into that that arena. I assume you wouldn't stay there long. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, I always told people, I said, you know, I've never raised money for anything. I wouldn't want my grandmother to give, uh, give my inheritance to. Wow. Um, yeah. Nice. You know, I, and, and this, I, I share with people who are going into fundraising and, and, you know, even if they call and say, Hey, I got this great job and it's going to pay me a lot more money. I said, do you actually believe in what they're, what they're doing? I said, how much of your money are you going to give to this? Do you want your grandmother to give, you know, a portion of your inheritance? Well, no, I don't want that. So, <laughs> you know, then, then it's, this is not the job for you. You've got to be passionate about what it is and you've got to believe in it. And it's got to be genuine. It, it can't be contrived. You know, when you're asking someone to, to part with money Again, they can sense insincere, insincerity pretty quick. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, it's nice to be able to build relationships and be authentic and and match people with yeah. with the things that interest them. Yeah. Um, and I really think that's that's more of what you're doing as a, as a philanthropist is identifying projects or taking on clients that are consistent with your friends and the relationships that you have. It, it, it is vitally important, vitally important. And so often people are anxious for whatever reason <clears throat> to jump into things they don't really believe in and, and to represent them. And it's like, man, this is, this is your reputation. You know, if you're going to be in an area long-term, your reputation matters. So don't let a short-term dollar keep you from, um, you know, a, a, a long-term um, profession that, that where you could, you could do well in, um, you know, loss of respect is, uh, it's impossible to put a dollar amount on loss of respect. Well, you'd have to go sell cars because you wouldn't be able to do what you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about your confidence. What's uh where was that turning point that 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 helped you be the confident relationship builder that you are? Um, um, that that's a good question. I guess the confidence in it comes from um, just having seen it work. That the um, I hate to use the word techniques, but the um, what I call kind of the the the, the the traits, uh, ten traits of remarkable um, networkers or relationship builders, that sort of thing, um, <clears throat> comes from having watched people um, who have been successful in in, in that arena in, in building their large networks uh, to know that that 
you know, human nature is the same as it was, you know, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1000 years ago. And to be able to tap into that and, and, and to realize how people people respond. Um, and, you know, w- once you've seen some of the outreach efforts and, you know, sending someone a birthday card who doesn't like to I, I'm confident birthday cards work. Why? Because everybody loves to be remembered on their birthday. Everybody loves to feel special. Everyone loves to know that someone remembered them in a tangible way. And that's, again, it goes back to that. That's, that's human nature, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, do you have a, a morning routine that you stick to that, that's, that's helped you build your business? I know you've really only been an entrepreneur for the last six years, five. Yeah. Yeah. I make my bed up every day. Nice. Uh, yeah. You, you know, there, there, for, for me, there, there's something about getting up and getting started and I have to be organized. And one of the, one of the key things for organization for me, is having your your surroundings organized and you know when i was a kid we had to make our bed every day we just thought we thought our parents were horrible because we had to make our bed before we went to school but now you know i i, I make my bed every single day and there was a book that was written by an admiral and it talked about you know the importance of making your bed up uh every day is like in, in a, a first step of truly being being organized and, and getting your day off to to a good start. There are some people that, that can work well in chaos and disorganization and desk piled high. And I just I, I, I am not one of those people. And before I do anything, it's like, all right, I got to get organized. And that generally means my surroundings have to be clean. And, nice. um, you know, I, I think of um those in the faith-based world will recognize the building on a solid foundation and 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 the foundation must be solid before you can can begin and and i think you know whether it's a faith-based world or not everybody realizes the importance of a solid foundation and and starting out with a clean organized area that's a solid foundation and sometimes uh you know you don't have the luxury of having a place that's spotless or in a perfect world doing that but for the most part um you know my my key would be being organized being clean um and and making sure that things are in their place so that when i sit down to my desk or i begin to make calls i'm not distracted by clutter i know where things are um, I've, I've prepared and I'll give you an nice. example during, uh, during zoom. One thing I, I learned is that you can get a lot done 10 minutes before a zoom call begins. And, uh, you know, there are so many, so many things, um, that I think, Oh, let me run, go do this. I gotta do this. I gotta, gotta do that. And it's like, um, you know, somebody has a dirty house and you get a call and somebody's 10 minutes away and they're going to stop by. And it's like the whole family goes crazy to clean the house. <laughs> Again, you can get a lot done in the 10 minutes. But what I, what I realized with 
with Zoom it, is that uh, for a lot of people, that's the only time they get things done is the 10 minutes before the, the, the Zoom call. And things like that drive me crazy. And I, and I have been not necessarily late to a Zoom call, but logged in right right on time. Um, probably like, probably like I did with you today. Uh, but, um, I, at least I did go on there earlier to make sure that the link worked and try to get, try to get things correct on there. But, but, you know, not putting yourself in a position to be rushed, to make a mistake. Um, there, there is nothing worse than trying to make a good presentation and, being being rushed or not being able to get the graphics right or not uh, being able to find your papers and that's a, that's absolutely. a kick to death you know absolutely yeah and yeah. that kind of frustration would play through your whole day yeah absolutely absolutely I mean there's there's nothing nothing worse than uh, than that and and I think that's kind of the danger of of the Zoom calls is that um, you can put something off to the last minute whereas if you had a presentation uh, in front of people, you would be up earlier, you would be dressed, you would be organized, you'd have everything laid out. You'd get there probably 15, 20 minutes ahead of time to make sure that, you know, their computer worked properly to put your slides up. Um, you know, there, there's something something lost with uh, uh, Zoom a, a lot of times. Kind of like when we were told to clean our room as kids and you'd find that space under the bed and stuff as much under there as you oh, can. That, that was my sister. Oh, my gosh. She had more stuff stuffed under her bed. She could clean a room faster than anybody I know. Now they design beds with drawers there so they can you know, yeah. legitimize, legitimize shoving it under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ben, I, I sure appreciate you taking the time today. Is there anything else you'd want to share with an entrepreneur or someone you know self-employed owning their own business? Just maybe some words of encouragement. <laughs> let, let me let me tell you, I, when I see someone that uh, steps out to be an entrepreneur, I have such respect for them because I, I know what I've gone through to get my, my business up and running. I've always done well when I was employed by someone else. And it is much easier to collect a paycheck from someone else than it is to go out and earn your own paycheck. And Heart, heartfelt respect for all who generate their own uh, th their own check. That's uh, that that shows me they're true leaders. You know, when when you generate your own income and pay your bills from that, you uh, you're doing something right. So that's uh, keep on keeping on. That's nice. important. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for. Joining oh, my me pleasure. Today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. 